the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. God is concerned that his church be led not by just any man, but by a certain kind of a man. And there is, in my opinion, one qualification for a leader. And that qualification is found in verse 2. An overseer then must be above reproach. That is the overarching qualification for leadership. He must be a blameless kind of a man. He must be a man that, while certainly is not perfect, but he is the kind of man that no accusation will stick in his life. If he sins and he fails, he gets things straightened out. There's no one area of his life that's so out of order that everybody knows it. It's obvious and they can point to it and say, look at that. He's a leader. Why, look at this area in his life. Now, the passage of Scripture really is just dealing with areas or categories of blamelessness in the man's life. And we have looked at them. The first area is the area of morality. He is to be the husband of one wife. And we spent a long time looking at that phrase, what it does not mean, what it does mean. Verse by verse, where we have been studying 1 Timothy chapter 3 and God's standards for spiritual leadership. We have spent a fair amount of time on this topic, and we have done so for a very good reason. The church belongs to Jesus Christ, and as such, it is vital that the men who lead the church ought to be the right kind of men. They should be men who reflect the standards that God has laid down in His Word. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is currently warming up in preparation for today's broadcast. I've mentioned that a few times, and you might be wondering what his warm-up entails. Well, I can't say too much about the specifics, but it's a mixture of calisthenics and stretches. Then he starts to warm up his vocal cords with a series of vocal exercises. When he is ready, I usually get a thumbs up. Now, you know, I, I well, I just got a thumbs up. So here is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, with today's Verse by Verse. We have spent so much time on it because it is so vital. It is so important for us to know the kind of man and the kind of men that God wants to lead His church. If it is the church of Jesus Christ and it belongs to Him, then it is vital that the men who lead the church ought to be the right kind of men, ought to be the men that reflect the standards that God has laid down in His Word. And the two places in the Bible that stress leadership in the church of an elder, and we said an elder is synonymous with pastor or an overseer, One place is 1 Timothy 3, the second place is Titus chapter 1. God is concerned that his church be led not by just any man, but by a certain kind of a man. And there is, in my opinion, one qualification for a leader. 
And that qualification is found in verse 2. An overseer then must be above reproach. That is the overarching qualification for leadership. He must be a blameless kind of a man. He must be a man that, while certainly is not perfect, but he is the kind of man that no accusation will stick in his life. If he sins and he fails, he gets things straightened out. There's no one area of his life that's so out of order that everybody knows it. It's obvious and they can point to it and say, look at that. He's a leader. Why, look at this area in his life. Now, the passage of Scripture really is just dealing with areas or categories of blamelessness in the man's life. And we have looked at them. The first area is the area of morality. He is to be the husband of one wife. And we spent a long time looking at that phrase, what it does not mean, what it does mean. What it means is that he is a one-woman kind of man. He is committed to his wife. He is not flirting. He is not interested in other women. He is not going after other women. He is committed to that one woman. In the area of morality, he is to be blameless. In the area of mentality, not that he has to be brilliant, but that he has to have the right mind. And Paul explains it this way. He is to be temperate, prudent, respectable. That is to say, he is to be a balanced man in his thinking. He is not to be rash. He is not to be given over to extremes. He is to have the right mental approach to life. He is to be organized and disciplined in his mind. Thirdly, in the area of how he gets along with others, or the social area, he is to be hospitable. That is to say, he is to love strangers. He is to open his heart and his home to strangers. That is what hospitality means. He is also able to teach, which means not that he has to have the gift of teaching, but that he has to be able to communicate the Word of God in a non-threatening type of way. He also is not to be addicted to wine. He's not to be pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, and free from the love of money. And then another area, and this is the area we saw last time, is in his family life. He says in verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. It's not that his children are just under control. Anybody can do that. You can take a whip and do that. But he must keep his children under control with dignity. That is, he doesn't have to rant and rave and be a madman to get his children under control. They don't cower in fear because of him, but they do submit to his leadership. Tonight, we want to look at two areas, and these are very, very vital very important. He needs to be blameless in the area of humility. Humility. I want you to understand that I move in circles with a lot of pastors, and this is lacking in a lot of pastors' lives. This is lacking in a lot of church leaders' lives, this area of humility. They believe the things that people tell them about themselves, and that's very dangerous if you don't balance that with people who have enough courage to tell you things that you don't want to hear about yourself. But it says in verse 6, and not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Not a new convert. Now the thought here is humility, but he goes about it in a roundabout way. The Greek word for new convert is one word in the Greek language. It means newly planted. A neophyte. That's the thought here. In fact, we get that word from the Greek word, which means a novice, a beginner. In Greek literature, this word was used of newly planted trees. And the thought of Paul is this, just as a plant needs time to take root in order to come to maturity, so a man needs time to become rooted and grounded in the Lord and in the Word of God so as to come to spiritual maturity. That's the thought there. He is not to be a newly planted believer. He is to be one who has had time to sink his roots deep into the Word of God and deep into Christ. 
Paul's point is very simple. Elders should not be new Christians. That's the point he's making. An elder should not be a new Christian. No matter how zealous he is, no matter how knowledgeable he is, no matter whether he meets all the other qualifications, no matter how faithful he is, no matter how gifted he is, no matter whether he is the greatest pulpiteer to ever come along our way, no matter if any of those things are in order, a new convert isn't spiritually mature enough to be a pastor, to be an elder, to be a leader in a church. In fact, a man can have all the other qualifications and shine in them, but still be too young in the Lord to be an elder. Now, the question that I had as I went through this, and I'll just mention this because you probably have had this or will have this, is how long does a man have to wait to be an elder? So one year, two years, three years? Well, the Bible doesn't say, and that's good that it doesn't say, because then we would be too rigid on this. The Bible doesn't give a specific time period or a table, but it does indicate that enough time has to pass so that the man can mature and prove himself to be mature. For instance, look at a few verses down in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He is speaking now of the deacons, not the elders, but he says this, and let these, meaning deacons, also first be tested. The word also would indicate just like the elders. Let them first be tested just like the elders. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. In other words, his life must be observed under different kinds of conditions to see how he conducts himself. It isn't that you call in a man and give him a test. When I went to Moody, they gave us a big Bible test the beginning of the year to show us how ignorant we were, how much we needed to be in Bible college. That's not the thought here. It is not that you come in and you hand the man a test or that you give him a piece of paper, you ask him some questions. The thought is this, that there has to be a time period in his life that he can be tested under all kinds of circumstances and situations. That's how you learn about somebody. You can learn best about them when adversity hits. You can learn best about them when things are not going their way. Everybody's smiling when things are going their way. It's the true test of character when things are not going your way, when you don't agree with people. When there are people that you don't get along with, when there are decisions made that you don't care for, and you would see it differently, that's the test of character. Now, I want you to understand, and this is always dangerous when you're dealing with time, that there must be maturity, because time doesn't necessarily mean maturity. I know men, and I know women, who have been saved for years and years who were still babes in Christ. Time is not synonymous with spiritual maturity, but you cannot have spiritual maturity without time. I hope you understand that. You can be spiritual. The moment you're saved, you should be spiritual. Spirituality is being controlled by the Spirit of God as the Word of God dwells in you richly. That ought to be continually in our lives. That's Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. But maturity takes time. Maturity is conformity to Christ. And that just takes suffering. And that takes knowledge of the Word of God. And that takes the trials of life. That just takes time. There is no instant maturity. Some people mature faster than others. And so time is not the issue, but time must be involved because maturity takes time. So there has to be a sufficient amount of time allowed that the man can show his real character. This is consistent with the New Testament and the Old Testament for that matter. Paul wasn't one to appoint elders who were new in the Lord, not usually. I'll show you an instance in which there was a change in that. But let's look at Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, he is with Barnabas. And in verse 23, the Bible says this, And when they, meaning Barnabas and Paul, had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the first time, to my knowledge, that in the New Testament, elders are appointed. But I want you to just jump back two verses, 21 and 22, and see that they were not appointed right away. 
And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now they returned. They had already been there. They had allowed time to pass. And then they went back to these three cities to strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when then they had appointed elders in every city. So it wasn't that Paul just preached the gospel and immediately he established new converts to be leaders. There was a time period that had to take place. Timothy wasn't ordained immediately, was not appointed to the ministry. He did not have the leadership lay hands on him immediately. No, this didn't follow his conversion. It was later, I think it was Paul's second missionary journey after he had heard about him on the first one that he came back and got Timothy. In fact, Paul spent three years in Arabia before he had an effective ministry in Tarsus and then Antioch. And did you realize that it was 10 years that Paul had been saved before he was sent on his first missionary journey? Paul was not a spiritually mature man overnight. We don't know exactly what happened in Arabia, but I would assume that the Lord Jesus revealed to him truths that he missed because he was not one of the original 12 apostles. But he had been saved for 10 years before God called him to the mission field. There's nothing wrong with being a new convert, and this is not a disgrace. Obviously, we want everyone to be a new convert, but we just are saying, as the Word of God teaches, that leaders aren't made overnight. You need the trials of faith, you need disappointments, you need criticisms, you need sufferings, you need misunderstandings that go along with the maturing process. There's nothing like suffering to do that. And suffering just takes time. You need to have all kinds of adverse circumstances to prepare you. I remember being at a pastor's conference, I think it was Chuck Swindoll, got up to speak, and the first thing he said is this, and I'm paraphrasing now, he said, when God wants to use a man, he first must crush him. Now that sounds hard, but that's absolutely true. When God wants to use a man, first he crushes him and he prepares him for leadership through that crushing and those experiences. Most of the leaders in the Old Testament that are mentioned didn't become leaders for quite a few years. They had to go through suffering first. Joseph was a servant in Egypt for 13 years before he became a ruler in the land. He went through tremendous suffering. He went through tremendous adversity as he was sold into slavery and then he was misunderstood while he was in Egypt 13 years before he became the prime minister in the land. Moses cared for sheep for 40 years before he led Israel. In fact, it wasn't even his own sheep. It was his father-in-law's sheep. 40 years. Someone has said that for 40 years Moses thought he was something. Then for the next 40 years he learned he was nothing. Then for the last 40 years he learned that God can use a nothing. Joshua was Moses' servant before he succeeded him. David shepherded sheep before he shepherded Israel. And that seems to be the pattern throughout the Bible. There has to be time allowed to mature. Now, this is very important for us today because one of the tragic things happening in Christian circles these days is to take a well-known politician or a movie star or an athlete who's just become a Christian and we exploit this person. We put him in the spotlight and we expose him to be as if he's a Christian leader. We present him that way. They make the banquet circuit. And they give their testimony. Nothing wrong with giving their testimony. That's wonderful. But to expose them in the spotlight like that when they're just brand new babes in Christ, to me, seems to be exploiting and taking advantage of them. They are looked to as Christian leaders when in reality they are simply new babes in Christ like anybody else. They just happen to be well known in their particular field. That does not make them a leader. I remember reading about one baseball player a number of years ago. He was just taken advantage of and made all the banquet circuits and ate all the chicken in the world that they serve at banquet circuits. 
And finally said, that's it, I'm through. That's ridiculous. And he just got fed up with the whole scene. He was not ready to be presented in the light of a Christian leader. He was not a Christian leader. He was a new babe in Christ who just happened to be able to play baseball very well. Why is it so dangerous? And this is the point that Paul is making. Why is it so dangerous in the local church to take a new believer and make him a leader? Why is it so dangerous? Look at verse 6. Not a new convert, lest, now here's the reason, lest he become conceited, Let's stop there. Lest he become conceited. The reason you don't want to take a new convert and make him a leader in the church is because rapid advancement to leadership will fill a man with pride almost all the time. It will fill a man with pride to be exalted above his peers too quickly. In fact, the word that's translated conceited, you know what it literally means? Puffed up. Puffed up with smoke. It means to be wrapped in smoke. In other words, a man who is promoted too quickly to church leadership will wrap himself up with a smokescreen of pride. In other words, his head will be in the clouds over his exalted view of himself. He won't be able to see clearly. He can't see clearly about himself. He can't see clearly about any other spiritual reality. He's just too concerned about self. He thinks he's made it. He thinks he's now with the big boys. Let me tell you what I really think Paul is dealing with in the context, in the historical setting at Ephesus. Ephesus was not a new church. It was a church that had been in existence at least 12 years. Now, I believe, and if you've studied under me here, you know that I believe that the major problem at Ephesus was the leadership. The elders had gone off. Some of them were false teachers. Some of them were not even saved. Some of them were teaching myths and legends and endless genealogies and mixed in with Old Testament law, and they were corrupting and perverting the gospel. But it would be wrong to say that all the leadership was like that. There were just some. Some of the leadership was great, godly, true to the word. And Timothy is sent there to correct those who are in error and to encourage those who are walking straight and handling the word of God accurately. But this church had many mature elders. You can't be an elder for 12 years and not be mature when you have Paul's teaching and Timothy's teaching and going on in the Lord. So we want to set that straight. Now, if you have men who had been mature for 12 years and growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, and then you have a brand new believer, and that brand new believer has been saved maybe weeks or months, and you elevate him to a position of men who had been elders for 12 years, you're going to have problems. What took them 12 years to mature, to reach a level of maturity, he's going to reach in a matter of a short time, and he is going to have a false sense of maturity. He will think he has arrived. He will think he's made it. He will think that now he's with the big boys. Now he's with the leaders. Look at me. What took them years only took me months. And what sets in is pride. Now, it's interesting. When Titus is sent to the islands of Crete, the exception is made. Paul tells Titus to ordain elders in every city, but the interesting thing is that he does not list as one of the qualifications that he should not be a new convert. Why? Because everybody was basically a Crete, a new convert. You had to have some leadership. But the issue of pride would not be magnified like it would at Ephesus because you didn't have men who had been elders for years and then you put a man who's been saved a short time with them. And so I want you to understand that, that there seems to be an exception at Crete because everybody was a new convert. There would not be the problem of pride in the sense that there would be at Ephesus. But if you take a man in an established church and you make him an elder and he's a new believer, pride will blind him and it will lead to, look at the end of verse 6, he will fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. 
It will lead to the condemnation incurred by the devil. Now, some people interpret this to mean the condemnation that the devil gives. It can be translated the condemnation of the devil. The devil doesn't condemn. God does. This is not the devil condemning anybody. This is the condemnation incurred by the devil. A leader who is too immature to lead will become proud because he's elevated above his peers, which will go to his head, and the result will be the same thing that happened to the devil. What happened to the devil? He was lifted up with pride. And he fell from his exalted position. That's the point. Will you turn back in the Old Testament to Isaiah? Isaiah 14. Great passage of Scripture, way back in the Old Testament. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15, tell us what happened to the devil. Now, the devil's name was Lucifer. He was the morning star. He was the son of the dawn. He was gorgeous. He was probably the most gorgeous angel of all. But something happened. Something happened. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, we read this. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, and this is the reason why Satan was cut down. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And God says, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Now, Lucifer had an eye problem. I, 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 I will do this. I will be like this. I will be equal to God. That is his pride. And God says, you think you're going to be exalted? I'm going to send you to the pit. That was the condemnation incurred on the devil. When Satan lost sight of reality due to his pride, God cut him down. And the point that Paul is making, the parallel is this, that when a new convert is put in a position of leadership with men who are mature, it will swell his head and God will have to cut him down. Now, does that mean he'll necessarily lose his title? No. I know a lot of proud men in the ministry. They still have a title, but you know what? Though they have a title, they don't have an effective ministry. You can put a title on anybody. You can call anybody a pastor. But if people aren't following you, then it does no good. It doesn't matter. You're not a pastor except in name. Pastor has to have sheep who follow him. That's why in John 10, Jesus said, I have sheep. That's why you know that I'm the good shepherd. He'll be inflated with a sense of his own importance, and God will cut him down. Now, the whole issue in verse 6 is not so much about a new convert, but the issue beyond the surface is one of humility. Elders must be men who are humble. Greatest need in the ministry, in my opinion, is humility. Humility. They're not to be proud. When a man is proud, you know what happens? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. You set yourself up to stumble when you're proud. In fact, in James chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5, two verses that have meant so much to me goes like this. They're parallel verses. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. When a man begins to have an inflated ego in the ministry, God resists him. Could you imagine an elder being resisted by God? I can't think of anything more counterproductive. In John chapter 13, Jesus gave the whole model for us of what the church age was to be about. Humble enough to wash people's stinking feet. Muddy, cruddy feet. Get in between those toes and not to be so exalted that you couldn't do that. I like to point that out so you get a vivid picture just after you've had dinner. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says that an elder is not to lord it over the flock. He is to be an example, which means he is to serve them. Be just like the Lord. 
God has a way of cutting down the diatrophies of the world. Remember diatrophies in 3 John, verse 9? He is the man who loved to be first. And John says, when I get there, I'll deal with him. How he dealt with him, I don't know, but you can really guess that John dealt with him severely. Now, what is this saying to us as a church? As a church, we have to keep in mind that it's our responsibility to protect new converts from being too quickly put into a position of leadership. We need to protect them from being rushed along too quickly to be elders. Now, we need to be sensitive. We don't want to wait 25 years before we say somebody's ready. We don't want to go the other extreme. But this takes sensitivity to the Spirit of God. You don't want to rush somebody into a position of leadership as an elder too quickly. We don't want to stifle ministry. I gave a message this morning about why it's necessary to minister. So when people want to minister, we don't want to stifle that. But being an elder is the highest level of ministry in the church. And we do want to be very careful about that. They're just too vulnerable to pride. They need some time and they need some seasoning. Verse by Verse is coming to a close for today. But let's review a few things before we leave. As Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, an elder should not be a new convert. As Pastor Steve said, the whole issue in verse 6 is not so much about being a new convert, but the issue beneath the surface is humility. Elders must be men who are humble, not proud. As Proverbs 16, verse 18 reminds us, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. We certainly have much to take to heart and apply in our own lives, whether we are elders in a church or not. I would like to invite you to join us again for the next verse-by-verse broadcast when Pastor Steve is going to answer the following question. How can we tell if a man is ready to be an elder? In reality, we have been slowly answering that question, but next time, Pastor Steve is going to look into that with us. So please, join us then. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.